Uh, If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5 is our text this Lord's Day as we continue our walk through Genesis. Uh, As you turn there, let me just make a couple of announcements because I will probably forget by the end of our time today. Uh, One is there is a blood drive coming up. That's going to be tomorrow. I think there's some information in your worship guide about that as well. But tomorrow from 3.30 to 7.30. And also, next Lord's Day, we're going to be having our next members meeting. Uh, We do this as our business meeting now on a Sunday evening. It'll be at 6 o'clock in the Family Life Center. Uh, We're asking you to bring an appetizer. It's a great time of fellowship. And as well as we will be covering our church business, voting on issues of membership, um, and also uh, just updating folks generally on what's going on in the church. And so we've already got our budget out. You can pick this up, our budget report. It's right outside here in the foyer. Uh, So you'll have a chance to look that over between now and next Lord's Day when we have our members meeting. And then if you have any questions, you can ask them at that time. Now, Genesis chapter 5 is where we'll be picking up today. If you've been with us, you know we've been walking through Genesis since the beginning of the year. And uh, now, today, we come to the text that is essentially a genealogy that takes us from Adam to Noah. This is a portion of the Scripture uh, that many times we just kind of skim right over. There's, there's names at times that are unfamiliar to us. We kind of jump from the beginning to the end. Uh, but I hope today as we walk through this text, you'll see the great value that is there in these genealogies and the great things that we can learn from them. And so read this text for us and then pray for our time in God's Word today. And I'm going to read uh, Genesis chapter 5 beginning verse, with verse 1 all the way down through verse 32. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. 
When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Let's pray for our time in this word this morning. Sovereign God, we come to you in the name of Christ And we pray, Lord, this Lord's Day for understanding. For we have just read of generations between Adam and Noah. We have just read of of names. And to many of us, these names don't mean a whole lot. And yet to you, they mean a great deal. If they did not, you would not have put them in your word. So help us, Lord, to learn from this today. Help us, Lord to grow from this today. Help us, Lord, to be reminded from this Word today of who You are, of who we are, and of the great redemptive plan that You offer us through Christ Jesus. It is in His name that we pray. Amen. Well, Perhaps some of you uh, have had a chance to go up to Washington, D.C. and to, to visit that area and visit all the things that it has to offer. I have not yet been there and am looking forward to going with the children one day and have looked at all the different monuments, all the different places to go. And, and one that I look forward to going to, one that's very popular there in Washington, D.C., is the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Uh, if you're familiar with the memorial, uh, you know that it is essentially a memorial that has the, the names of over 58,000 soldiers who either died or went missing during the Vietnam War. Uh, it is a list of all these names, and it's quite a popular venue. In fact, more than twice the number of people who visit the White House on an annual basis visit the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Over three million people. Uh, they go there not just to see 58,000 names, but many of them go there to see a particular name the name of a loved one, the name of a friend, the name of someone that they grew up with, because for them, that name is more than a name. For them, that name is a story. For them, that name is a person. And yet for others, it may merely just be one in tens of thousands of names. But for them, it's a lot more. For us, when we come to the pages of Scripture and we come to sections like this and genealogies, these are more than just names. And yet, our habit often is just to to breeze past, to look past, to to skip over. Many times there's names we're unfamiliar with. Many times there's names that we can't even pronounce, much less know a lot about. And many times, the biblical text doesn't tell us a lot more about these names. And yet we need to remember that each of these names represents a story. 
that each of these names connects to a greater story of what God is doing in His Word. The story that begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where God creates. The story that we are in the midst of reading today. And so what I want to do today is just look at this genealogy, look at some of these names, look at some of these stories, because I believe as we do that there are reminders for us from this text. That Moses, under the inspiration of the Spirit, as he penned Genesis, is placing in here things that generations to come, including us, would need to read to be encouraged, to be reminded, to be led in the ways that God would have us go. And so I want to begin by looking at the first reminder that I believe we see here in the text. Number one, that God is our Father and our Creator. God is our Father and our Creator. Verse 1 begins by saying, This is the book of the generations of Adam. It goes back to God's first creation when He created Adam. Adam. And as it goes through this list, one of the first things that probably jumps out to you, that jumps out to me, is the particular lifespans that we see here. I mean, most of the people that are listed here live almost a thousand years. Now, that can seem rather spectacular to us today, even perhaps a little far-fetched for us today. We can't quite fathom that. How can a person live that long? Uh, you may watch the evening news one night and see that, that someone's lived to be 110 years old or 115 years old or 120. You think, oh my, how, how could anyone even live that long? And so when we see in the biblical text people living to 900, 950, 969 years, we need to understand the perspective here. We need to understand that between the garden and the flood, this was the lifespan that we find in the text. And we can see great reason for that. When you consider, for example, Adam and Eve created in the garden were created for eternity with God. Death does not enter the picture until after the fall. As part of the curse, God says to Adam, from dust you came, from dust you will return. You are now going to die. The indication would be before this, they would not have died. And so here we have Adam and Eve created for eternity with God, suffering the consequences of the fall. And so as death enters the picture, we see lifespan is much longer. And that will change after the flood. After the flood, you will see a very steady decline from the ages we see here closer to the ages of our day. But I don't think it's something that we should just merely discount. I think when you put it in the context, you understand it better. For example, you may drive throughout our community today and and notice a, a home, perhaps a, a home that once was a great home in our community that has been neglected. Uh, perhaps the windows are shattered out of it. Perhaps weeds have grown up all around it. It is merely, merely a shell, a reflection of what it once was. But if you remember what it was, you probably think back to that. We today are, are, are sort of like that. The, the, the effects of sin, of the fall, the consequence of the curse have ravished mankind. Uh, we are, are, are filled with disease and sickness and all these things, but it's not always been so. Uh, we are but a tattered image of what God created there in the garden. 
And even after the curse, even after the fall, we see the preservation of those lives for many, many years between the day of creation and the day of the flood. Another thing we, we see as we look through this and we think about that is something rather fascinating, and that's this. Because lifespans were so long, most of the people listed in this genealogy were alive at the same time. In fact, if you do the math and kind of chart things out, uh, you find that Adam lived all the way down to see his great, 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 great grandson, Lamech, be born. Uh, Lamech, as we see in the text, was the father of Noah. Adam died in just the, the days before, the years before the birth of Noah. It's important to consider that as we see this text. It's important to see how many of these men walked the earth at the same time. I mentioned last week when I was talking about, or the week before when I was talking about Adam and his descendants, that when you do the math, you find that, that Adam could have lived to see as many as a million descendants born and walked the earth. And so the earth is very populated by the time you get down to the days of Noah. And Adam would have lived to see so much of this. It's important to keep those things in mind then as we look to the text, as we look to what it teaches us, specifically in this first reminder, this reminder that God is our Father and Creator. It says these, this is the book of the generations of Adam, and then there's a reminder here for us about creation. There's a reminder here for us about Adam's creation. Verse 1, when God created man, he made man in the likeness of God. God. This takes us back to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. God creates man in his image. Then it tells us verse 2, male and female he created them and he blessed them and he named them man when they were created. This takes us back to the garden. Moses is taking us back to a picture here of God creating Adam and Eve and God blessing Adam and Eve. And everything is as it should be. You remember, they're in the garden. They've been given instruction. They've been given parameters. You can eat of any tree except for this one. This one is to remind you of who God is. It's to remind you of who you are. It's to remind you that you need to obey. It's to remind you you need to operate within these parameters for your safety God says to Adam and Eve and yet we know that they eat of that tree and the fall comes and we're reminded of that as we read through the text because it then says when Adam verse 3 had lived 130 years he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth and so we see here a, a, an intentional transition in the text from Adam being created in God's image to now he has a son who is in his image, his likeness. Now the question that then may immediately come to you and I is, well, what has happened here then to the image of God? Is Moses trying to tell us that, that Seth bore none of this image, none of this likeness? As you read through the Bible, uh, you find something interesting. This, this phrase, image of God, you don't see it a lot. In fact, as you go through the Scripture, you don't see it until 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, in reference to Christ, who Paul writes, the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. 
We see Christ in God's image. And so again, the question then is, well, what about God's image? What about God's likeness? What about us? Well, we see in Christ, we recover this image in its fullness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, Paul refers to us as new creations who have put on the new self created in the likeness of God. And yet we still see in the biblical text that, that all of us, all created beings, we, we still are image bearers. And we still bear the likeness. James refers to this when he talks about how we are to speak to one another. When he warns us about the evils of the tongue, he says, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. James is saying you shouldn't curse people just because they're people. You shouldn't curse them. Why? Because they still bear the image. They are still image bearers of God. And yet we know, as we read through Genesis 5, something has changed here. While we are still image bearers, Seth now bears something else. He bears the curse. He bears the fall that he has received, that he has inherited, that he has made in the likeness of that comes from Adam. And so do we. Romans 5 tells us, through one man, sin entered the world. Uh, Through Adam, sin comes and we all inherit this. And so we see this. And yet, we still see a reminder that we ultimately, we are created by God and God is our Father. Because Genesis 5 is not just the genealogy of Adam. Genesis 5 takes us back before Adam to who? To who created Adam? To God. It reminds us that that we are created by God. It reminds us that ultimately, God is our Father. Father, and it points us back to God, and this is very important. If I mentioned before during our study of Genesis, many of us find great value and great worth and great dignity in researching our family line and looking up our family line and finding who our father and forefathers were, and yet sometimes we don't like what we find. Sometimes we find things that we're not proud of, that that we're ashamed of. We we can never ultimately find our worth and our dignity rooted in man. It must go back beyond that to God. That is where we find true worth and true dignity in our Creator. And I believe we are being reminded of that as we look at Genesis 5. Just as we're being reminded of the fall and the consequences of the fall. But we're also reminded that all is not lost. So come to the second point there in your notes. We, we're reminded from Genesis 5 that life comes through walking with God. Now from here, from, from Seth, Moses then takes us through a number of generations. It says, Seth fathers Enosh. It says, Seth has other sons and daughters. And then verse 8 says, Seth dies. This is a pattern you see in Genesis chapter 5. This person was born. This person had this person. This person had more sons and daughters. And then they died. Over and over and over. The biblical text tells us they died. That this again is a reminder to us of what God has said to Adam. To dust you will return. This is a reminder to us of the consequence of the fall. And we've already seen great consequence of it as we look through Genesis chapter 4. As we saw 
Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, one killed the others. We saw then the, the descendants of Cain and their, their, their sin, their iniquity, their ungodliness grow as we looked at people like Lamech, who then took two wives for himself, who then claimed himself greater than God and saying the vengeance he would take on anyone who tried to harm him. That the boasting he had as he talked of killing a young man who had struck him. These are all reminders to us of sin, the consequence of sin. And in this genealogy, we see the fruition of that consequence in death. Over and over again. Death. Enosh, verse 9, then fathers Kenan. Enosh has sons and daughters. Enosh dies. Kenan then fathers Mahalalel. And Mahalalel in the Hebrew comes from the word that means Praising God. Uh, This is a reminder to us of what we saw at the end of Genesis chapter 4. If you remember there, as it talked about Seth's line, Seth who was giving as a replacement. Seth's uh, name means substitute. He was given in the place of Abel. And the text tells us, Genesis chapter 4 verse 26, that at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And we see this as we walk down the genealogy of Adam to Noah. We see it, for example, in Kenan's son, Mahalalel. His name means praising God. The text tells us that he too had other sons and daughters. He too dies. And so then, verse 15, he fathered Jared, who has other sons and daughters, and he dies. And then verse 21 introduces us to someone who breaks this pattern. This pattern of birth and life in death. We see this pattern altered when we get to Enoch. text tells us in verse 21 that, that Enoch fathers Methuselah. Methuselah is a name that you're probably familiar with because we, we often mention Methuselah when we talk about age. Methuselah is the one who lived longer than anyone else in the biblical record, 969 years. We'll come back to that. But first, let me talk a little bit about Enoch. Because the text tells us some very specific things about Enoch, both here as well as in the New Testament record. Uh, Here we learn, for example, verse 22, that Enoch walked with God. This phrase, walked with God, is one that we've not seen in this genealogy up to this point. This phrase, walked with God, implies it envisions for us what we saw in the garden before the fall. If you'll remember then, God walked with Adam and Eve. In fact, when Adam and Eve sin, and they're hiding from God, as we read through the text, we find God walking in the garden, pursuing Adam and Eve. And it gives us this picture of what things must have been like before the fall for God to walk with man, to walk with Adam and Eve. And here, now, we're being told about Enoch Particularly that that Enoch walked with God. It doesn't just say that once. It says it twice. Verse 22 and verse 24. And then something rather peculiar. Verse 24 says he walked with God and then he was not. For God took him. Now some might read this and say, well that's just a a different way for for Moses to say that, that Enoch died. And yet, I don't believe that's the case at all. I believe what we're seeing here is something rather peculiar. We only see this twice in the Old Testament record. Once with Enoch, once with Elijah. Where where God literally takes the person. They don't taste death. He takes them up to heaven. 
And I think we find confirmation of this when we read about Enoch in other places. For example, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 says this of Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Uh, that term, walked with God in the Hebrew, can also be translated, he, he pleased God. And so here we have further confirmation from the writer of Hebrews that, that he did not die, that he was taken up by God, that he walked with God, that he pleased God. But, but there's even more. For example, you can look at Jude, verse 14. Uh, Jude's letter is a fairly short one near the end of the New Testament. And in it, we find warning to those who are not walking with the Lord. And Jude is, is going back to the Old Testament account. And he's pulling up several people, several situations as reminders to us. Listen to this in verse 14. And it was also about these that Enoch... Now, if you'll remember, Cain also had an Enoch. How do we know which Enoch this is? Well, we read it here in verse 14. Enoch, the seventh from Adam. It's speaking of the Enoch that we see here in Genesis chapter 5. The seventh from Adam, this Enoch prophesied saying this behold the lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him Did you pick up on a theme there <laughs> ungodly 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 Enoch was a preacher. Enoch was a herald of God's judgment and God's righteousness. Enoch, according to these texts then, would have been one calling out to the ungodly of his day, to these generations of Cain and perhaps ungodly from his own family, and saying, God's judgment is coming. You are ungodly. You have sinned against a holy God, and He will judge you. Enoch, again, would have lived during the days of Adam. And he would have heard accounts, perhaps from Adam's own lips, of God there giving the curse, and in that curse giving a promise that one would come who would defeat the enemy. One would come who would crush the head of the serpent. Adam would have looked forward to that. Perhaps even Enoch, he would have told him and taught him in generations before and after him about that. And here Enoch, in a message that he had from God, who tells us he was prophesying, this is a message from the Lord, is prophesying to the ungodly, your day is coming. Judgment is coming. And we see as we follow through the text how judgment comes, don't we? Because Enoch has a son named Methuselah, and Methuselah has a son named Lamech, and Lamech has a son named Noah. And Noah sees God's judgment come as the earth is flooded. Enoch did not live to see Noah born because God took him up, the text tells us. But he did live, of course, to see his own son born, Methuselah. And as we look to this, as we look to Methuselah and Lamech and Noah, we see some very 
interesting things. And I believe what we see is a forecasting of the gospel. And that's the last point I've put in your notes, is that the gospel is our only hope. And I want you to, to, to see the hope that we see in this genealogy as we look at these last few verses. You've got Enoch, this, this, this preacher of righteousness, this preacher of judgment, calling to people, telling them that God's judgment is coming. He has this son named Methuselah. A Methuselah's name in the Hebrew, like many things in the Hebrew, can be a bit difficult to translate. There's really two primary ways you can translate Methuselah. It comes from the first and the last part of the name. The first one is to translate it man, literally, of missile. Man of missile, a sense of man of spear, man of javelin, man of war. That there's, there, there, there's an indication here of violence implied. The second translation is the one that, that I lean towards, and I'll try to point out why. And it's translating it this way. The first part, die or dead. The second part, sent. You put them together, and this is what you get. When he is dead... It shall come. When he dies, it will happen. You have Enoch, who is preaching about God's judgment to an ungodly people. There is a righteous remnant in his family, but so many at this point are ungodly to the point we will read in Genesis chapter 6 that God looks at the earth and all he sees is wickedness. And you have Enoch who then names his son, I believe, literally. When he dies, it's coming. When he dies, judgment. I believe Enoch perhaps embraced this message and taught it to his son Lamech. Again, Lamech would have been alive to to, to hear these words from his own grandfather Enoch before God takes him to be with the Lord. Lamech would have heard this message from his grandfather. He would have been alive. Lamech would have been alive before he would have been alive to see Adam die, to see God take Enoch up in a very unique way, to hear his father, whose name meant, when he dies, it will come. And I believe he, he received all this. He responded to all this. So when he has a son, what does he name him? He names him Noah. It means relief. It means rest. And what does he say of this son? It tells us in chapter 5, if you look here towards the end of our chapter, verse 29, Lamech he calls his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief. Again, his name means relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. What is that reminiscent of? What is that a reminder of? This takes us right back to the curse and the fall. Because in the curse, what does God say to Adam? Toil. The ground. He, he, he curses it. And here you have Lamech looking to his son Noah and saying, this one will give us relief. How can he do that? He is looking towards the one through whom the fall will be dealt with, through whom the enemy will be vanquished. And we know as we look to the biblical record, as we continue on this text, that Noah will be a righteous man. That Noah will be relief. But not for many. For very few. 
for those in his direct family. God will preserve their lives. He will cover them with the ark as he brings judgment all around them. But remember Noah's grandfather, Methuselah? If you walk down through Genesis 5, you see a similar progression. You see that a father always dies before his son. With the exception of Jared and Enoch, Jared is still alive when his son Enoch is taken up by the Lord. Apart from that, father dies before the son. Except when you come to Methuselah and Lamech. Lamech dies five years before his son Methuselah. Perhaps because God was keeping Methuselah alive for a purpose. Because as you look through the numbers and you add them up, you find that Methuselah dies the same year of the flood. When he dies, it shall come. And I believe up until that dying breath, Methuselah like his father Enoch, was calling out to God's people, judgment is coming. And when I die, judgment will come. When people heard his name, they were reminded of that. When he dies, judgment. Why? Because we are ungodly and we are separated. Friends, we don't have someone of this stature, of this name among us today. We don't have a Methuselah, but the message is the same. Judgment comes. Enoch and his prophecy was right. Not only in the flood, but judgment ultimately will come. There will be a day when we can no longer respond to the call to repent. There will be a day when the door is shut up on the ark and we cannot go in. And I believe the message in Genesis 5 is the message for us today. Friends, we are ungodly. We are separated from God. We are depraved in our sin. We have all fallen short of God's glory. And we need the hope that the Gospel offers. We need the hope that comes ultimately through the One who fulfills what Lamech says in the naming of His Son. The One that will bring us relief. Because we know ultimately, while Noah did save some, Noah dies. We know ultimately why Noah was considered righteous, that Noah was a sinner. But this points us towards the one through whom we can be saved. This points us to the one who knew no sin. This points us towards Christ Jesus and the shelter, the hope, the relief we find in Him. The call for you, the call for me is, listen to the words of Enoch. Listen to the name of Methuselah. Listen to Lamech as he names his son Noah. And find relief in the only one in whom we can find relief. In Christ Jesus. Repent. Call upon his name. And be saved. And you will experience rest. Rest that can be found in nothing else. Rest that can be found in no other. Rest that can only be found in him. I believe this is just part of of the great glory of the gospel that we see when we look at this text and the glory that we'll see as we continue to walk through Genesis. If you would, pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for the message, the story that we see in these names, between these names, 
in their family. Father, I pray that we would consider that this Lord's Day. That, that we would consider what we see here. That in the midst of ungodliness and unrighteousness, you preserved a remnant. And through that remnant, you had a message. You had a preacher who called to the people and pointed out their sin and their ungodliness. And through, through his family, pointed to a way through which man might be saved. Father, we know that way today. We know it is through Christ. But Lord, there are so many other things that we put our hope in. There are so many other things we put our faith in. And so Lord, I pray for any of this Lord's Day who up until this moment has put their faith in themselves, in their works, in their name, in their status. Father, help them to repent of that and to come crying desperately to You in the name of Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. Father, for those of us who have repented, perhaps we need this reminder this morning that our hope can only be found in the gospel. We are so quick to put our hope in other things. And we are so quick to be let down. Because the only place that our hope can rest is in the gospel. Lord, remind us of that. And lead us to repent, Lord, if we've placed our faith, our hope in something else. We pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen.